Sharpen That Axe, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. My name is Dylan Murphy. I'm a song or singer, somewhat music man based in Galway, Ireland. With me, always, as always, is my co-host, John. John Gillen, how are you? Hello, how are you? You have much less hair all over yeah. than I saw yes. you last uh, <laughs> Yes, it was, um, I'd become more so than the metaphorical black sheep of the family. My hair had just, my hair doesn't grow down, it grows out. Um, uh, much like a, a afro, but uh, not as cool. So it's, uh, to be honest, it's a bitch to, to maintain and actually wash and dry. I felt a woman's pain and uh, I did not like it. So we tried evening the hair out. This isn't, this isn't like, you know, a hair related podcast, but yeah. Not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> Check in next week. We'll uh, see how it goes. Yes, so I shaved it all off, which is something I've always wanted to do, just to see. I now know how it looks, and I'm never doing it again. So <laughs> it's, uh, we'll post a pic on on the Instagram for you know people who are dying to see it. But yeah, it ain't, ain't pretty per se. Someone said I look like in like look like I belong in a Russian metal band, but not a good one. So, but, <laughs> but not a good one. Are there any good ones? Um, how are you getting on in your these these quarantined times, John Gillen? Oh well, uh, restrictions are easing up here a little bit, which is nice. So hopefully, we're gonna we haven't had any new cases, I think, in our county in quite a while. So that's good. Um, Sweet. But it's it's been you know we get students asking like, so what are you guys reopening? But the difficulty is is like we can't we can't have more than ten people in the studio, and that Ooh. that's basically the teachers. So yeah. you know, um, and one student, we could have one student between nine <laughs> teachers at any point. In time. <laughs> Makes for a long day. Um, but what? But yeah, education. that's that's. Uh, that's kind of where we are. And it's, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of getting ready to move. That's also fun. So, but yeah, anyway, none of anyway, those things guitars. are directly guitar related. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we are uh, friends for our discussion this week, just to give you a little uh, sneak peek. And um, so this is a full episode, which I don't think we've done in a while, which is like where we don't have a guest on. It's just you and me um, shooting the shred stuff. And <laughs> I don't know. I didn't want to swear, John. This is a family-friendly podcast, uh, except for when we're reviewing Slipknot. So, yeah, this week we will be doing, John, it is your turn for Lick of the Week. Very excited. And uh, Then we'll be talking a little bit about my experience with Chris Zupa's modes course and modes as a whole. And, yeah, then we'll be talking a little bit about how we build our practice routines, and then we'll finish up with what we've actually been working on. So, yeah, Yay. there you go. Yay, there you go. Um, so skip a section if you don't like it. Um, so, John, John, Lick of the Week. Do you want to give me any hints before I, I, I go in, I dive right in? Uh, this is, it's, it's kind of a classic. We haven't talked about this guitar player before. And I wanted to do something that kind of helped us to get some perspective on particularly electric guitar and where that's come from. So that's, that's all I'm going to lay out there for the moment. So whenever you're ready. Sweet. Okay, let's 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 have let's have a listen. Okay, three, two, one. Cool. Okay. Uh, that's okay. So it's it's fifties esque rock and roll. 
sure. and it's it's you know it's 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 very much the early incarnation of what we know as kind of bluesy um kind of like shuffly uh, uh rock and roll so i'm gonna say it's chuck berry it is well cool. done. very All nice right. very nice um kind of topical as one of his compatriots little richard uh passed last week mm-hmm. uh, one of the the best like i put on here is little richard the day after just because i hadn't listened to it in so long and god that guy could play like and oh, yeah. sing. and i i didn't really know about little richard until i saw the um the lemmy uh documentary and lemmy kilminster from motorhead was a massive little richard fan and talks about really? like the influence and just um you know how like he was the guy back then much better than elvis or jerry lewis or any of those so chuck berry john why chuck berry why is chuck berry so important well it I, I thought this one in particular was really interesting. You know, he was always kind of named the father of rock and roll. And I think at least in, in this electric guitar sense, he took kind of, um, you know, obviously Buddy Holly was still popular at this point in time too. This song came out, this is Maybelline, by the way. Maybelline was Chuck Berry's first hit. This is actually taken from a live performance. This is not the recorded version. So the recorded version, this is the solo. The recorded version, the solo is not as dynamic or actually clean, which was kind of interesting. You know, this was, this was those days when you would go in and it was one take. And that's, that's essentially what you were paid for was that one take. And it's amazing how different things are now, you know, if you think about it or even how things were in the eighties or nineties with tape and how many retakes and cuts and edits and all that stuff. This was, you go in and it's like you and one microphone. And that's basically what the original recording is. It's basically him and a mic'd up amp and it goes straight on to that 45. Wow. Maybelline was kind of the thing that propelled him forward, but it's the whole story kind of behind how he got there is, is of course interesting because he was influenced by T-Bone Walker and he was per- performing with the Johnny Johnson trio. Um, he traveled to Chicago in 1955 and met and played with Muddy Waters. Like he cool. connected with all of these people and it was Muddy Waters who connected him with Leonard Chess of Chess Records. And yes. so all of these, like, all of this rock and roll and blues history is coming together like right here with Chuck Berry and Maybelline is actually, it's an old uh, like country tune that he kind of revamped to make it more modern and upbeat and up tempo. And all of those things combined, you've got your kind of the, the country vibe, you've got the, the blues licks, but the, the fast pace nature of this is really what helps to kind of propel rock and roll in to the next thing roll over beethoven is 1956 and then you know johnny b good is 58 and so this is this is the thing that kind of really launches that mid 50s rock and roll sound and gives it because if you think about elvis and don't get me wrong like things like jailhouse rock are great i you know i think those are great rock and roll tunes but they're not really guitar centric tunes chuck berry i think is the father really of that guitar centric rock and roll that we really know and this solo is so key it's just it's just a pentatonic solo but his performance in this if you can watch the video i definitely recommend it because you see his dynamic stage presence you know that little the the walk thing that he does yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Which, of course, we also know Angus Young used Angus all Young. the yeah. time. And and these that lick right there in the middle where he's he's taking that he's taking the note and bending it up to the next note and matching it on the string above, right? Classic tra- blues uh, lick. trademark, yeah. Yeah, and and from there, like I mean, that's two thirds of the Freebird solo. You know, you think of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it. Jimmy Page uses it a lot. Eric, Cla- like everybody uses it, and. Chuck Berry's kind of the guy that sort of makes it famous. I mean, obviously, it's a thing that you can hear on uh, Robert Johnson recordings, but it's yeah. not. It's he's the guy that brings it to everybody's attention. His energy, his presence, his poise, and and just the the sheer just like it's fun. It the, it the guitar is out there. The guitar is kind of the thing that's just really in front, and that's really the I, I think one of the key things about Chuck Berry and why he's so important to the guitar and to rock and roll yeah a massive massive figure that was a really great synopsis i really enjoyed listening to that there's a lot of stuff i didn't know there yeah it's 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 funny because like he he was the guy like with no chuck berry you don't have angus young who i read as saying give me a, a bad chuck berry solo over a good eric clapton solo any day of the week <laughs> And, you know, like the Beatles started off playing Chuck Berry songs, like those first Mm -hmm. albums have a few covers. And like when they were doing the Cavern Club sessions, you know, it was it was, you know, he was their bread and butter, essentially. And Lennon went on to, you know, play a few shows with Chuck Berry later on. So, yeah, a a big guy uh, like I love, you know, Chuck Berry has, you know, he's become an icon. He's become a bit infamous in some ways, but I love throughout that like he played till like almost till the day he died. Which was yeah, like, he died like, at ninety in twenty seventeen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's and, crazy. Yeah, and he, uh, like, he used to travel from town to town. He demand to be paid cash up front, and he he used to just like invite local bands to be his backing band. And then mm-hmm. towards like in those later shows, I remember Greg Proops, the comedian, talking about it. He would just sit on his amp and just jam along with the band, and he just invite the audience up on stage, and he just jam along just like kind of just doing wow. his thing and um, but yeah I, I, and just what a what a stylistic icon in terms of that big red hollow body and the um, you know the duck walk and the suits and the you know the the back to the future reference as well there's just so much so much there yeah and uh, yeah so yeah cool i i love talking about that old rock and roll stuff and that's that's uh it's, it's always important to highlight how uh imp- i suppose how influential that stuff was so Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, um, absolutely. Nice to have it was fun. 80 shred. So, John modes a very intimidating. <laughs> How's that? To, Speaking to of 80 shred. Up? Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, friend of the show, Chris Zupa. Uh, I, I've ta- I've you know been one to dabble into his Udemy courses before, and um, always with hilarious. Uh, <laughs> imagery of him riding unicorns, um, or oh. as a centaur. Uh, so I've recently wanted to kind of spice up like my playing past the pentatonics and without getting all you know natural harmonic minors i wanted to like okay i'll try the modes and so i've started doing his udemy course and it's been really eye-opening in terms of songwriting and solo building and just you know those i suppose adding flavor to music in terms of playing what you're not used to, going beyond uh, the standard kind of, you know, stuff that we 
we tend to learn when we start out. So uh, modes, do students want to learn them? Do you have an experience, like much experience in terms of teaching them? Um, what yeah, do you think I mean, it, it, modes is usually the something is something that a, now I'm going to use this term loosely just because it, from what I've noticed, most people, you know, who fancy that they are advanced are much more like an intermediate and your intermediate players are somewhere kind of like, you know, if you were to put things on a level, you know, one to 10, your intermediate players tend to actually, they think of themselves as like a six to an eight. And uh, when in reality, they're more like three to five, beginners are yeah. one to two, you know, and those of us that have been playing a long time would be like, I don't know, maybe like a six or a seven, you know, we humbly joke. understand that we are certainly not at the level of somebody even like Angus Young. So mm. uh, not to say that Angus Young is a bad guitar player by any means. Usually modes are something that people hear about and it's kind of this mystical holy grail that as Eric put it, you know, as soon as I learned the Dorian mode, the skies will open and Jesus is going to give me a high five. So like, it seems to be, this is the thing that will unlock my playing and make me sound amazing. Like my favorite guitar players. So, but it is a really interesting, it is interesting because it does break you out of the things that you're used to listening to when it comes to just simply uh, your major scales or your pentatonic scales. It adds a new vocabulary. And I think the big thing when you're approaching modes is understand it's a composition tool. And I say that to include things like building guitar solos and improvisation. Improvisation is, is not just sort of letting my fingers fly on the fretboard, but rather it's trying to be compositionally aware of what you are doing in the moment. And I think that's a key thing with improvisation. And we'll talk about that in another episode. But the idea of modes is really to give you more vocabulary. And that's really how you have to think about it. And you have to think about context. For modes, context, I think, is the biggest thing. And again, you can think of it as a composition tool in order to build around a particular scale. Because really, a mode is just a scale. Mm. Um, or you can think about it as a way to improvise over a particular chord. So if you have a C major seven, you have different options that you can play over that chord. For example, you could play the C Ionian, or you could play a C Lydian. Either scale will work, and you will get different sounds. And there's, you can come up with more options beyond that if you want to, but those are the most standard two when we're talking about the seven, what classical theorists would call church modes. So um, that's usually, usually the starting point, and most people will begin by teaching the modes. Essentially, if you have a C major scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, mm -hmm. if you start on C, that's mode one, you start on D, that's mode two, you start on E, that's mode three, yep. which theoretically, and, and those modes do have names, but that's, <laughs> but <laughs> theoretically, <laughs> those modes are e that's easier to understand on a piano. The guitar is really different, Paris. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and so I remember being taught the modes very early on and it just didn't make sense because I didn't understand the concept and how they changed. And instead of thinking in terms of being up and down the fretboard, I thought, oh, this shape is a Dorian shape. So if I play, you know, five, seven, eight, 
there there's the beginnings of my a dorian but and if i want to play b dorian i have to use the exact same first finger third finger fourth finger on the seventh fret but what do i do if i want to play b dorian on the second fret i have no idea because it's yeah. just like learn this pattern that's, that's the dorian pattern and i think that's where a lot of people fall down and they don't end up understanding how a mode works because it's basically you know just starting on this pattern in this location and if you want to change then you have to move it similar to how a lot of people understand pentatonics at first it's like you have your one minor pentatonic shape well think of it instead as like five shapes and a series of notes that you can put anywhere on the fretboard so anyway that was yeah. that's kind of my ten thousand foot or <laughs> whatever that is in meters i don't know we don't have to go metric meters. john don't worry no Oh, okay, good, because I can't do the conversion in my head. So. You can tell us about modes, but you can't convert whatever it is you have to to our correct feet, metric system. Feet. You have feet, feet. too. Yes. We do. I have two of yeah. them. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 that was really, really good. If people could watch us, they would have seen me nodding my head furiously to everything you were saying. Um, I, I think what's really can be such so limiting about modes from what I've seen in my experience in the past is how it is basically shredders will take that three note per string section, you know, that, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. one thing I've really fallen out of love with in terms of guitar playing is playing stuff that just sounds like a scale going up and down. <laughs> and it's a really hard habit to break because that's how you learn things. You just, we are, you know, pattern oriented. And when we don't have it out in front of us from left to right, like a piano, it's, it, it's hard to break out of that you know, I suppose, modal mm. prison. Um, but I, I think that, like, there's certain things I've learned from doing Chris's course. Now, I've been going from, like, it, it starts with, it basically, he goes through the sound of each one and the, at the start, and then he breaks down each mode individually to say what you can do with them and what differentiates them and what kind of music they're in. So I, um, I wanted to, like, I wanted to familiarize myself with the Mixolydian, so I jumped to that one, like, before anything else and it's been super interesting because it's that it's essentially uh, a major scale with a flattened seventh um, so it's kind of got that uh, it's it's weird because I've started to listen out for it in music and it's like in a lot of Irish traditional music is a big thing mm -hmm. um, and especially in the key of D and G D and G yeah the classics great great keys there <laughs> and yeah I, I, I it's it's funny but it's in a lot of blues as well and yeah, I, I found it really interesting just kind of like being able to pick out that note. Cause that's one thing when we had Chris on the show last time was it's like developing an emotional connection with that kind of interval that you hear. It's like, Oh, I can hear this. It sounds like a, you know, a Lydian or whatever. And that's, I'm not at that stage yet where I can pick it out by ear. Oh, this note doesn't belong here. This is modal. But for example, if the, the Simpsons theme tune is what mode do you know, Joe? Oh, wait a minute. I, I used to know this. It is... Um, it's not Phrygian. It's, uh, it's not. It, it, but it is a minor mode, isn't it? Isn't it? It is. So it's, it's a Lydian it's, dominant mode. Oh, that's right. Of, yeah. Of the two of us, I should have known that, if nothing else, just from the metal. Yeah. So... <laughs> There's oh, so much Lydian dominant and I've talked about it before, but yeah. So, but, but that's, that's a whole different mode as well, based on your 
uh, melodic minor scale. So yeah, or, crazy. Uh, so harmonic, harmonic. We're we're delving into a lot here. We're probably getting ahead of ourselves, but like it's class that like you know the keyboard player from Oingo Boingo. Danny Elfman um, went on to become like a composer. And like the, the thing is what differentiates what well, I think the reason to learn modes is that you can make these pieces of music that are instantly recognizable because they're just so unconventional, like the Simpsons theme tune. Everybody can hum that because it's got this unique sound. Um, you know, that is a result from using the, that results from using the Lydian dominant mode, which is something that I want to learn about. Now I am very much, uh, a beginner when it comes to this stuff but it's been super interesting just to have a different way of, of learning how to spice things up and um, do you think that it's something that a lot of famous players would know or do you think they're just kind of learning by ear um it depends on who it is i suppose I, yeah you got those shred yeah. guys would like satiani would would know what it is vi would know what it is Ingve. oh yeah um, absolutely and i would say there's a lot of people like uh i i think for example somebody like eric clapton would yeah. not have thought in those terms when he was learning but i think he knows what that is at this point you know what i mean especially with things like mixolydian and blues like yeah it's it's all over the place in blues and jazz now your jazz players will definitely know this they will know them inside and out um though my experience has been typically the jazz guys don't really think in terms of scales now i'm not all of them are this way but instead your modes are a means of coloring a chord you're playing over so yes and ultimately, I think that's, that's really how you should generally think about modes is that they are important for the harmonic structure. So, and I had this conversation with a student working on melodies. Like the important thing is that you work on building melodic content with a harmonic idea in mind. And so whether you're using a Lydian mode or a Lydian dominant mode or a Phrygian dominant mode or whatever, you know, <laughs> all of those things imply a certain note choice and, and what kind of chord harmonic structure you want to convey. Then you can add your harmony on top of that, or maybe you already have the harmony, but you know, the, the scales and the modes are not, because we tend to think of them as like, oh, we're in this key. I can just shred this scale and it'll work, which is usually when I'm teaching jazz, like I start with a song like Autumn Leaves that just hits out straight away with a two, five, one and yep. in G major. And so everyone's like, Oh, I can just play a G major scale. And then you get to the second part where you have a two, five, one in E minor, which now you don't know what to do with the B seven and yes. your solo sounds weird anyway, because you're not hitting the chord tones and then realizing like it, it doesn't have to be G major because when I get to that C major seven, uh, I can definitely hit that as well. And I can play that, you know, I can play an F natural over that C major seven and it's fine. Just don't play it over the G major seven. So point being, yeah. like <laughs> modes ultimately are a key to unlocking how to, how to phrase things and, and build melodies and build harmonies not necessarily thinking in terms of like, oh, I can just play this scale shape over all the things. So. No, that's, that's, which is what I'm trying to, which is the rut that I'm trying to dig myself out of, right? It's the, it's the memorizing the shapes 
um, as opposed to not knowing, you know, chord tones or little notes that will stick out. That's kind of the most important thing that I'm trying to really familiarize myself with. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, maybe in future we can, we can break down, we can do like a mode per week or something along those lines just to kind of yeah, familiarize ourselves with or something. Little theory yeah. corner or something where we can. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good plan. I think so as well. Um, so we talked a bit before about, uh, you know, because we don't have any guests this week. I was thinking of, you know, you suggested building a practice routine because it's something that we've touched a lot on in the, the last while. And in terms of, we both mentioned it, that we're both working kind of full time and we're trying to still get some guitar practice into our daily routine so Mm -hmm. you brought it up that it would be an interesting thing to discuss um in terms of comparing our practice routines building ones you know what what what, what's what might be important so if i was to ask you john like do you have a practice routine as it stands right now um to be honest i've had to rebuild it and do the best i can so it's a little humiliating to be asked that question but um yeah, it's it's important because uh, what I've had to do is sort of figure out what are the things I want to work on technique-wise. And generally speaking, I'm trying to incorporate that with the the riffs and songs that I want to be working on. Some of it too, you know, I've got stuff that students were are asking to have tapped out or students are are struggling with and I have to learn how to play it in order to be able to help them. (laughs) So that's another element of my practice routine, but, um, it's, I've had to restructure and rethink a little bit about how I order my practice. So now as for you, we've talked in the past, I know like you've, um, again, the quarantine thing is, is kind of thrown, thrown things off a little bit. And we're, and you and I are probably working more than maybe we would have without the quarantine. Yeah. So, um, certainly certainly in a more intense way mm -hmm. um, where you're working at home and it's like, you don't really have like my spare room, which would be my guitar room or kind of like little hideaway man cave. If you want to use that awful term um, is now used for work. And I do have my guitars here, but they're kind of mocking me in terms of just play us Dylan. Um, (laughs) So one of the things that I would love to touch on is that, um, so Eric uh, Haugen did a live uh, stream recently where he talked about what to practice and he put up a free sheet on his Patreon. You can go find it there. You don't have to be a patron of his uh, wonderful YouTube channel to access it. It's just a free PDF. And uh, I I don't know if you've seen this, John, but I can give you some, uh, it's basically a one page what to practice PDF. So I can just, uh, he also puts in a little what not to practice section as well. So I'll just read some of this out and I've been incorporating it into some of my practice. So his, for what to practice, he's got for theory, he recommends practicing chord progressions as Roman numerals, um, common chord progressions, and intervals. And he breaks down all of these points in his video, which came out last Saturday, uh, why you should learn them. And so as for those things, I've been picking out uh, intervals in terms of like being able to pick out uh, you know, like certain notes and scales and chords, like being able to identify the third and the seventh, which we've talked about before in terms of like, you know, 
it's where the flavor is. It's where the good stuff is. And um, one thing as well, he's got his ear training and his recommendation for rather than like, you know, ear training by using a piano. And um, he recommends picking out gospel or folk melodies by ear. So what I've been doing is every day I've been doing a Hank Williams song every day, just sitting down with the acoustic and listening to it a few times and seeing, can I pick out the chords and also pick out the vocal melody, which has been a lot of fun because you just see what works where you get to see where the notes are coming in terms of the chord progressions. And then for the chords, um, so he's got a list of chords that you should learn. Um, but the ones that I've been focusing on are the sixth chords, uh, which I've never really sat down and properly learned before. Um, and they're super interesting. It's, it's like, it, they're so full of kind of life and like a minor sixth chord is somehow more evil than a regular minor chord. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's been cool. It's, it's because, you know, we learn the power chords and we learn the, the open chord shapes and we learn, you know, the odd seventh chord and major seventh, but I've never really sat down and actually like le- learned the sixth chord shape. So that's been fun. And then mm. he's got a few grooves and rhythm, which I would be fairly adept with in terms of like playing drums for so long. He's got like the Neil Young shuffle, the rock diddly, the two step, the, the bossa, you know, just to pick out those rhythms. And then for the scales, he's got minor pentatonic, major pentatonic, He's got sequences of three, he's got Dorian and he's got Mixolydian. And then he's got also learn your sixths and your thirds, which are great for, you know, country mm-hmm. playing, stuff like that. And then he says, things to possibly skip are your inversions, uh, arpeggios, your weird modes, and your aimless noodling, because that's going to oh happen. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> Rhett Scholl recently had a good comment on aimless noodling as well, so... Yeah, um, it's, it's it's something that happens to us all, I think, in terms of I, trying I think to... That, I think that deserves a whole episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's some interesting things here, too, I think. I, I'm, the inversions, um, I'm not entirely sure what he means by that, because he does say, learn your slash chords, which are inversions. I so, suppose so, yeah. Yeah, for me, triads triads were a huge thing in opening up the fretboard. And so I've got several students right now that I have them working on triads um, and using songs to illustrate how they're used. For example, yeah. Crazy Train uses three different triad shapes right there on the second, third, and fourth string. So why not learn what you're playing and why you're playing it and figure out how to use it elsewhere on the fretboard? Is I mean, that's my take on it. But I like, uh, you know, things like, like you said, six chords, sus, uh, sus chords in both your open and your cage shapes. That's a huge thing, too, I think, um, for just understanding how the fretboard's laid out, how to manipulate the chords. So the whole idea of theory, that's, if you can see, hey, I've got this caged major shape, can I make it minor? Can I make it suspended? Yes. Can I make it a major six chord? Those are huge things to understand, and I think that's, that's fantastic advice. So what I've been doing is because I've been stuck for time, like I usually have maybe 30 to 45 minutes to, you know, play guitar um, every day when I'm not doing stuff for work or trying to get some exercise in or, you know, just <laughs> trying to spend some time away from the screen. And so as it stands, I'll just give you a little uh, idea of what my practice routine is like right now. And um, so for example, from Monday, a few days ago, um, I had my warm up was five minutes. I was doing like the spider. I was doing the Ben Eller Punisher and um, with a metronome. We, we recommend we, we are a metronome 
<laughs> you know, we, we, we're fans. Uh, and then after that, I'd follow it with some, I'd take four bars from uh, a Brad Paisley song because they're fun to kind of warm up. You're doing your hybrid picking, you're doing your, you know, a bit of alternate and followed by, um, do, you know, I'll do a, as I said, a Hank Williams song followed by sixth chords practice. Now, in order to do like six chord practice, I made myself a little Evernote, basically note of loads of different interesting resources I found from across the web and kind of um, copied and pasted them all into one Evernote. So I just basically just need to go there to save me from going online, going down a YouTube rabbit hole, just basically having everything I know in one place um, mm -hmm. everything I want to learn in one place. Then follow that. I've actually, as I've been learning a bit of Crazy Train and been doing that for five to 10 minutes every day, just in terms of that one bar. And then I've been doing, it's funny, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I've been doing my major scales. So I'll do C on a Monday, A on a Tuesday, GED, um, which has been like a good way of like, you know, you're not spending too much time. It's the cage system broke down to your weekdays. And then mm -hmm. uh, I've been finishing off by watching some of Chris's courses. Uh, the videos are usually like five to 10 minutes long. So I'll usually just take a video a day. I'll make some notes and then I'll play around because one of the real things I really liked about his course is he gives you ideas of chord progressions to build from a modal point of view, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to learn it rather than doing like one, four, fives and the major scale he'd like oh here's a one four five in mixolydian and it's like oh right that's every green day song ever um, <laughs> so yeah it's it's um yeah it's an interesting thing in terms of like building a practice routine are there anything from a teacher's point of view that you would uh, recommend including um i i do think so one thing here before i launch into that i'm curious your you know you have your evernote of things you want to learn how do you keep that from getting overwhelming because i think a tendency that i see in myself and probably a lot of teachers or a lot of students is they'll find something and go oh this is cool and oh that's cool and oh this is cool and it's hard to kind of and that list just keeps growing and you don't yeah. really end up accomplishing all those things you just have 30 things you've never worked on you know, so how, yeah. do you, how do you approach that and what do you what do you do with it to kind of hone that in and help help yourself to, to dial in your learning process? So I think it's important to be realistic about how much you're going to really learn in one sitting. So or how much you want to expose yourself to in one sitting. So one thing I'll do is I will. So, for example, last week I was watching Eric's video and I was like, oh, six chords. I know nothing about six chords. Like I know that, you know. F sharp is the sixth note in the A major scale. Um, but like, I don't know how to make a chord shape that would reflect that sort of tone. So I went online, I copied them, you know, I, I took screenshots uh, from like guitar habits. There's a really interesting uh, article on ultimate guitar about how Jeff Buckley uses sixth chords. And I, I, I essentially kind of made a little six chords folder and I broke them down. I basically copied and pasted these into separate notes. And I was like, okay, Monday, I'm going to have a look through this note. Tuesday, I'm going to have a look through this note. And I think when you're done practicing, when you're done, don't write out a schedule for the, the week because that's just setting too much of a challenge. What, I'm, what I recommend from my experience over the last few weeks is when you're done on Monday, after that, you immediately write in what you want to do the next day. So that when you mm -hmm. start on Tuesday, you know exactly what you're going to work on, building on what you've done the day before. And I found that really helpful, especially with the Brad Paisley piece, because it's, it's essentially one long song, 
but it's one four bar section leading into another leading into another so you're essentially using that time that you have allocated to kind of cop, you know, shove them together what you learned yesterday with what you're learning today and um, so that's been interesting i mean i'm not very um particular about it i mean like if i if i don't get to something i'm not going to beat myself up about it i think it's good just to have a structure otherwise you find yourself with aimless noodling i don't know if that answers mm-hmm. your question yeah 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 yeah. i think that's good the um I would say from my perspective, a lot of times what I do, and this depends a lot on how much time a student has. And let's say you have 30 minutes and you may not even be able to get all 30 minutes in in one sitting, which, you know, I've been there. Many of us have been there. Um, I think it's so looking at Eric's stuff, like there's a lot of stuff here. And if you just put in, let's see. I, 10 minutes on each thing you've got one two three four five <laughs> six at least six if you're dealing with six and thirds in terms of uh intervals that's an hour right there um yeah and you may feel like i don't have an hour so what do you do to kind of organize that practice time like you said i do think having um knowing what you're going to work on the day before a lot of times what I suggest for students uh, particularly if you're kind of more in the beginner phase or if you're sort of moving into that intermediate and you're looking to build up speed and dexterity and all those sorts of things um, you this is also my recommendation is that you kind of have some technical exercises that you work on five or ten minutes a day you know whether they're legato or they're right hand exercises or both you find a way to to work on left hand right hand synchronization you know that's important um and then beyond that you know you want to be after that then it's usually like chord and scale work and then i would say after that for the last 10 minutes usually what i recommend then is an application of those chord and scales throw on a backing track and yes. work on your scales with the backing track. Timing is important and breaking out of the, the idea of noodling, it's important to put them in a musical context. Um, but that's a whole other discussion in terms of improvisation, noodling, and all those other things. Um, and, but that's, that's 30 minutes right there. And yeah. what I do suggest though, is maybe having day one and day two. So for example, if you're working on two scale shapes, like, on day one, you work on your A shape, and on day two, you work on your G shape, and then you go back to your day two routine. It's kind of, it's kind of like going to the gym. You can't just, uh, you know, it's you're going to see more improvement, particularly, you know, if you're bodybuilding. Like if you do chest one day, if you tire your chest out one day, you can't go back and do, you know, a thousand push-ups or <laughs> do your max bench, yeah. yeah. Um, every day like it it doesn't work that way and so this just kind of breaks it up but allows you to still make progress and even if you only get two days of practice in you still are making progress along two distinct rails so you know that's that's usually how i suggest it Mm -hmm. that's that's a really good thing i think yeah being able to yeah just in terms of have one thing leading into another and kind of prepare for that that's uh solid solid advice yeah i think that what i've come to the conclusion as well is and i think it's something it's one of the first things you brought up when it comes to learning guitar as a whole don't practice stuff you don't want to play 
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but it's one of the things. It's like you focus on, you said that Steve Vai said he doesn't practice chicken picking because he's not good at it or he doesn't yeah. really have any, he doesn't really have any intention to use that sort of playing. I love mm-hmm. that sort of playing. So I'm going to like factor it into my practice routine. And um, yeah, I just think it's, you know, it's, it's really down to what's going to make you want to pick up the guitar when you don't have a set practice time. Say if you have a Saturday or something like that, you know, just pick stuff you want to learn or songs you want to learn or like you with your riffs, it's, it's going to make you want to do it more. If you don't want to learn jazz, don't, don't learn jazz. You know, I don't want to learn jazz. Um, I, so I, I think that's just something to bring into the, the equation as well. When you're designing a practice routine mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I really appreciate Eric for giving out that list for free. And it's cool to get a perspective because sometimes you just like shrug emoji. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely. Um, sweet. Because so there I- is so much stuff out there, you know, and that's, that's really where you know, hopefully what we're doing is we're helping people to dial it in. That's what he's doing and doing. And that's, you know, the role of a teacher. You want to practice what? You want to learn what? Okay, here's how you get there as opposed to, you know, when you go out on the internet, I want to learn how to play guitar. Well, what kind of guitar do you want to learn how to play? Yeah. Acoustic, electric, what are the things that overlap? What don't, what should I learn? What should, and so, you know, building a practice routine and kind of like you just said, figuring out what works or what you want to learn is really important. Usually you don't know when you're first picking up the guitar. Uh, most of our listeners are probably beyond that point, but yeah, really, really trying to figure out what works for you is important. Solid, solid words to end that segment with. So leading on that, John, I've basically borne my soul and my practice routine to the world, but <laughs> are you working on anything right now? Yeah, so what I've found with my, my little riff idea, as I keep harping on this, but it's been, it's been good for me because it's allowed me to get back into a routine. Yes. And, um, but I've found some of them that are harder to, harder to learn than others or there's different sections, you know, some songs have two or three sections that I'm like, okay, I'd like to learn each one of these riff ideas. Mm. Um, some of them, you know, like John Petrucci riffs, those, <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to play those up to speed in 10 minutes a day, but I can use that to work on my synchronization or my right hand picking, whatever, whatever the case may be. So what I've done is I've, I've taken the riffs that I'm working on and I've sort of divided them up into the things that I feel like I need to work on. And right now I feel like I just, I need a little bit more consistency and more speed in my right hand. And to do that, you know, I've, I've got a couple of different exercises. I've got a couple of different riffs that I've picked out that I'm like, okay, this is, this is just a good sweet picking exercise. And really that's all it is. Despite the <laughs> fact it's a main feature in a song, it's like, it's just somebody's sweet picking exercise on the 20th fret and you know, they just want to show that they can do it. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll use it as an exercise, you know, uh, whereas other ones, it's a particular melodic riff. Um, and okay. What works? Some of them are more rhythmic and chordal. Okay. How does this work? And, And anytime I'm working on a riff, I'm asking these questions of, okay, what key is this ultimately in? Yes. Or in the case of the sweet picking thing, what is the chord is that's being outlined? How is it being used in context? Always, I think 
it's important to always ask those questions. And it is, and it's it's almost a discipline in itself to like mm -hmm. I just want to learn this fun riff, but when you can actually sit down and figure out what's going on, um, you can just steal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it it makes it so much easier to implement new ideas into your own playing when you know what other people are doing. And that Brad Paisley song that I'm learning, which I talk about every week, um, you know, I'm learning it from a book, so it has the the chords behind it. So I'm like, oh, he's playing an F chord here, so he's using the D shape in the cage system for this part. And I'm like, yeah. cool. Which, which is, is something Levi Clay talked about too. You know, once you know those shapes. And once you're familiar with them and you can move around the fretboard, then it's a whole lot easier to identify those things and incorporate them in your own playing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Huge. Cool. I think we've covered what I'm learning. Uh, I'm learning a bunch of stuff, but I think being able to, <laughs> being able to learn loads of little bits and keep it interesting is, is much uh, more appealing to me than sitting down and trying to learn Freebird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which <laughs> is that's kind of... Kind of where I've I found myself with the riffs as well. Um, and I, I think chunking, which is something else we've talked about and yes. should probably do, do so again, but breaking things up into small segments and just being like, okay, I'm just going to take 10 minutes to work on this particular exercise riff or scale, um, whatever you have the stomach for at the moment, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and just go from there. And um, I feel like our what are we working on section is kind of, bleeding back into <laughs> everything yeah, else no, well, we did well you know i think this has been informative if it's if nothing else um sweet so i suppose that's the show john um Shanae. um yeah we have uh we've got some great guests coming up uh or we are scheduled to interview but you know they're not going anywhere so uh, <laughs> we'll have those interviews for you in the next we're not going to say who just yet uh but yeah we are um very much looking forward to making more episodes uh people seem to be digging the tuesdays coming mm -hmm. out so we're going to keep doing that and yeah john anything you'd like to add hey if you miss the if you miss the live stream on saturday if you're in the u.s it was at 3 a.m so it was tiring and exhausting for me but <laughs> for dylan what time was it there for you 10 9 a.m 10 a.m yeah shoot man that's time for cans where you are on a saturday jeez i i resent that that is racism <laughs> um well i mean on a saturday <laughs> on a Saturday, quarantine yeah. it's airport i'm not rules, denying man. it john I'm not, I'm not denying it. <laughs> uh, yes um uh, and and 7 p.m australia time so at any rate if you missed it it's still there on our face page facebook page uh be sure to check that out with chris zupa so um yeah other than that check out our patreon instagram again the facebook dylan's been killing it with the social media thank you sir i've been trying so, yep yeah. and uh yeah that's that's about all i have sweet that's that that's me as well john it's been a long thursday um everybody thank you very much like us on instagram like us on facebook uh send us an email if you have any ideas for a topic for a show and until next time Stay safe, stay sharp. Goodbye.